Okay, hi, hello. I'm I'm Erika Grönberg and I live in Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Hayes Hawk. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, doctors Professor Sudha Reddy uh, in India. Uh, my name is Elke. I'm a midwife in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Hannah Freiwald. I'm originally German. I've been living in Guatemala for the last 31 years. My name is Hannah Darlin and I'm professor of midwifery at Western Sydney University in uh, the west part of, of Sydney, Australia. My name is Debbie Engelbrecht. I live in South Africa. I'm Cecilia Nakubra from Uganda, East of Africa. I'm a midwife for seven years. And I've been a midwife for 20 years. I first got into maternal child health in 96 when I was living in Chile. I'm living in Demoni, Israel, in the Hebrew Israelite community. And it's incredibly powerful to witness the birth of a child and the birth of the family and the birth of the individuals in the room. For me, it's the most wonderful, amazing, miraculous honor ever. Our job as midwives is to be Sherpas, not usurpers. For me, it's a sacred place, it's a secret place, it's a private place, and I have the honor of receiving these little babies. I'm, I'm in the business of watching universes being created. I mean, there's no better job. Hello, and welcome to the Worldwide Midwifery Podcast. I'm your host, Augustine Colebrook. Our guest on this episode is the esteemed Sudha Radhi from India. She's a graduate of the prestigious Armed Forces Medical College in Nursing. She also has completed her master's degree in obstetrics and gynecological nursing, her master's in philosophy and nursing, and also a PhD. She has a total of 23 international and 16 national publications to her credit. She's organized international and national conferences and workshops and currently sits on the International Confederation of Midwives Regulation Standing Committee representing the region of Southeast Asia. She's a master trainer for helping babies breathe. Sudha has recently been offered a post of adjunct professor at Thomas Jefferson College of Nursing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States, and she's a member of several academic bodies and board of studies at various universities as a PhD guide and examiner. I asked Sudha to tell us about how she became a midwife. When I was in the army, uh, we used to get rotations uh, in different wards. So the maximum rotations by my luck, which I got was in the labor room. Um, both during my training and during my uh, postings in Air Force Hospital in North of India. And all the people who used to work in the labor room, they were all married and they used to be very tired coming for duty. So whenever there used to be any delivery in the family unit, Wherever I work, they used to give me a call and say, come and do it. So I was running whole night, uh, managing the women, conducting the deliveries, suturing the episiotomies. And many of my babies, you know, they used to have cord around the neck. And uh, I, I found it very easy to manage those because you have to just I feel them, clamp them, and then the babies to come out. But nowadays, cord around the neck is such a big scary thing. They'd show that to the parents and tell, now you have to undergo a cesarean. When I was a student uh, of midwifery, uh, we had a delivery uh, at the gate of the uh, outpatient department uh, in the auto rickshaw and my seniors uh, were having dinner then. So I and my batchmate who were on night duty there as nursing cadets, we ran out and we were used to it. We used to do many deliveries on the floor in the auto rickshaw here and there. So we ran out with the instruments and um, 
baby cloth to cover the baby as soon as it would come out and in the rickshaw the head was already coming out so we delivered the baby clamped the cord cut the baby separated the baby and one of us held the baby and the other one held the mother by her hand and we made her walk till the labor room to deliver the placenta because it was very dark there and we were just two cadets like there was nobody to help us they just told us go and see what is happening but we just as precaution took all these things and we delivered the baby safely it was hang head was there and the baby was literally out we took care of the baby resuscitated the baby uh, put the mother on the labor table the, she was a multi gravida muslim mother so the placenta came out easily there was no need to do any suturing and the both the mother and baby were fine so that was one thing which very early in my midwifery career i remember doing and after that many cases and uh, trying to get a breach done and when the doctors were not there trying to apply a vacuum all these things i have done so those things which i learned in midwifery and the amount of practice which i had um, i used to be alone on night duties in a huge ward with around 70 80 mothers and i used to sincerely go around checking the temperatures uh, checking the heartbeat of the neonate wiping the stethoscope diaphragm with spirit before touching each baby like a very ideal kind of setting i had in the army so i fell in love with uh, midwifery then when i joined this college here uh, after working for around 3 years in midwifery unit i used to go to the district hospital with my students uh, to let them have more deliveries and let me tell you those days in district hospital poor patients come so there's no restrictions so many deliveries the students conducted and i learned and then when the post graduation started here uh, i took up midwifery naturally and that is how i became a professional midwife suda has since left direct patient care and is now a doctor and professor of midwifery i asked her to tell us where she lives and works now i stay in a town called belgaum uh, which spells b e l g a u m uh, it is in in a city called uh, it is in a state called karnataka in india which is the south of india and uh, after i left my military services i have been working here since 1994 and till date uh, in different positions like i joined as a clinical instructor then lecturer resident professor associate professor then head of department of midwifery and now i hold the designation of the principal of the nursing college here and the dean for the faculty of nursing at this university uh, which is called as the KLE that is capital K capital L capital E university so we are a deemed to be university we have our own regulations and we come under the ministry of human resource development uh, in india now i am in a administrative post but uh, our hospital is a 2400 bedded hospital where we have around 1240 charitable beds and the other beds are in the corporate side so since we have a medical college a college of dentistry a college of nursing and midwifery the pharmacy the physiotherapy and ayurveda so all of our students get our clinical training uh, from this parent hospital so um, we do have a labor room and we have an average of around 5000 deliveries a year so we do have this portion of midwifery in the syllabus of the four years of graduation that is bsc nursing we also have a diploma in nursing and midwifery which is a three years course we do have post graduation in uh, midwifery 
and also PhD. So our students are working in the antenatal uh, ward, the uh, labor rooms and the postnatal ward and round the cycle, they give care. So you have moved on to just in academia now, you're not doing direct patient care personally. No, I don't do direct patient care personally, but I am uh, monitoring the 1240 charitable beds as an administrator for the nursing site. And I every day visit their labor room and maternity ward for rounds uh, to see what can I do to help the infrastructure, the nursing personnel, the day-to-day -day care, all those things. Yeah. After you've seen hundreds and hundreds of births, babies arrive here on the planet and be welcomed or not by their family. You discover something. You learn universal truths about what it's like to be human on this planet. I think midwives, more than any other profession, are perfectly poised to help us learn at this crucial juncture. I asked Suda to tell us, after all her years of experience, what she wishes the world knew, what she wishes each birthing person knew. In short, what she's learned. I have learned that uh, if you have a normal and positive birth experience, uh, it goes a long way in bringing up your children, the upbringing of your children in a positive way. Because I know by my, my personal experience that in India, women have a very bad birth experience, very traumatic. The concept of respectful maternity care is not there in almost every place. We are trying to get it now into some curriculum in some of the colleges. So that traumatic birth experience should go away. My dream is that every woman should birth positively. She should have her own decision making in her birth. It should not be forced upon her and she should not be scared or told that oh, your baby is in distress so cesarean needs to be done. She should have her own birth choices. And if this happens, this particular stage of her uh, womanhood is positive, definitely the upbringing of the child, the baby will grow up in a positive environment and will be a good citizen, a healthy uh, citizen, a healthy individual, a healthy citizen. And then it adds to the glamour of the nation. What do you need from your international community? We had applied uh, to the International Confederation of Midwives. They had uh, asked for an expression of interest to provide uh, midwifery training here. And they were to select, I think, three countries from Africa and three countries from, from Asia. And we were very much positive that they would we would get it because India is a developing country and we need to develop midwifery also. But in the end, I got a reply from them that uh, our proposal is not accepted from them. So I really feel it's not only for me in my college uh, or my place here, all over India, the government is partnering. There have been workshops with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It is percolating down. Uh, the government has taken it up to create a center of midwifery excellence, training and excellence. But it is all in the state level, in the government level. It will come, uh, come down to us very late. So if some of the universities who function on their own and they are better in their quality and the service delivery, like us and many other deemed universities in India, if we could be supported because we have our own autonomy, our own organogram. So if we could be supported in collaborations and if there could be some kind of a training scheduled, like for six months, someone is here with us in the labor room 
who is there and who will support us in doing the normal deliveries, we can pick it up. So what would be helpful from somebody who is listening to this podcast? What could they do to help? Is there somewhere they can volunteer? Is yes. there some contact? Tell me more about how people can help. People, uh, I, I can get them connected to the Society of Midwives India. And then uh, I will talk to them about it. And then if there are many volunteers who would like to come to India and be in different parts to help out, then officially and in a proper administrative way, we can have a hierarchy and a project set up where this will happen. See, I can just get in touch with one midwife and then she can come to me and we can start off. But it's not that it has to really get all over India. Unfortunately, yeah. we do not have a separate midwifery council. There is one council called the Indian Nursing Council, which manages both the nursing education and the midwifery education. So even in the states, in every state, there is a state nursing council. We do not have a state midwifery council. I and many of my colleagues feel that to promote midwifery in India, midwifery should become a separate council and more quality oriented. Like we have 100 students in the BSc nursing course uh, and imagine 100 students, all of them should actually ideally conduct 25 normal deliveries. How do we get the opportunity to do that? Uh, in some bigger cities, um, there are some 10 or 12 colleges who are affiliated to a single hospital. So it becomes truly difficult for them to um, fulfill all the requirements to be a qualified midwife. So if we have a separate midwifery yeah. council and if we have a separate midwifery course, like how it is in US, UK and other places, those who really like midwifery and there are 25 to 30 intake of midwives whom we can teach properly, I think definitely, definitely it will it will help us. If you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting this production by becoming a member on Patreon, where you can get early access, full show notes, help to choose guests, and even co-host an episode with yours truly. That's patreon.com forward slash worldwide midwifery. We'd like to give a big thank you to our first three patrons, Dia Marie, Emily Schultz, and Kathleen Ruvalakava. If you're someone who cares about maternal child health, and wants to see midwifery as the gold standard for normal birth around the globe, join our community as we give voice to the revolution. I was working for a WHO project uh, for training the uh, midwifery tutors from high maternal mortality states of India, like Bihar, Jharkhand, and um, Uttar Pradesh. And those A&M auxiliary nurse midwife tutors had come for training to this center in Hyderabad, which is called as ANSWERS, uh, Academy of uh, Nursing Studies and Women Empowerment Research. And um, we had gone there to help them out, to participate as trainers. And uh, some of them were put in a corporate hospital and some of them were, uh, were put in a community. So when I went to supervise them in the community uh, hospital, I saw that there was a mother who was delivering, uh, crowning was, Crowning had happened, and there was only a die uh, that is a uh, traditional birth attendant there, and nobody else there. So I was very uh, amazed by that. I went in and I tried to help her do the delivery. Uh, it was a meconium stain like her, and the baby came out. We tried to resuscitate the baby. The baby cried, um, and it was a female baby. Then I thought, oh, it's a female baby, so it has survived because females are stronger. So that's one remote experience which I had. 
where there were not many facilities uh, for uh, having birth available. Uh, there was only one pair of gloves. There was nothing to suction the baby. I had to introduce the orogastric tube and try to section out with a syringe. And uh, even when the episiotomy was to be given for her, there was no local anesthetic. So that was a very bad and sad experience for me. But it usually happens in some parts of uh, India, in the rural India, where uh, facilities are not available. So would you tell me, um, in those areas of, of India where there's not facilities, are they mostly having home birth? Home births are not re reported, but definitely in uh, some of the rural villages, uh, uh, some very low percentage of home births may be happening because the government of India has uh, uh, done a very wonderful plan uh, where they promote institutional deliveries. So they have identified this uh, uh, eight or ten stand, uh, stand, uh, standard pass women uh, from the rural area who are called ASHA workers, that is accredited social uh, health activists. So these are the women whom they train them and they tell them that they must visit each and every house in the community, identify the antenatal mothers, bring them for antenatal regular antenatal checkups and um, motivate them and bring them to the institutes for normal deliveries and they give them some remuneration. So this has paid off in a very good way that all the women now, almost 80% of them are undergoing uh, institutional deliveries, which can be from a grassroots primary health center, a community health center, to a district hospital level three or a level four care hospital like us. But what has happened over the years is we got all the women to the tertiary care hospitals and the three-tier hospitals. And we do have a lot of private practice in India. There are a lot of private nursing homes mushrooming. So the rate of cesarean sections have gone up very high. Almost 50%, sometimes 60%. So I don't know, some way we feel that, did we do right that we got all the antenatal mothers get into the institutions for deliveries? And are we as midwives somewhere responsible that uh, we allow the cesareans to happen? So recently, there's been a very strong campaign by the Prime Minister of India, uh, Sri Narendra Modi. And they have been, uh, there was a big conference, the NMS CHI conference, where the people from ICM had come and WHO had come and they have uh, re released guidelines to promote normal births in India. So the Indian Nursing Council is also trying to bring up a course in independent nurse midwifery practitioners. And yesterday I read in uh, the Facebook with my friend who attended the meeting that they started it in six uh, uh, colleges of nursing in government setup. I was just questioning her why not in private setups because deliveries do happen in private. And we very much look forward to getting some kind of help here uh, so that we can, you know, really have the support to do normal deliveries. Uh, because India so what, is... What, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, India go is ahead. like dominated by the medical professionals. They dominate the whole healthcare delivery system. So even if the government of India initiates... Uh, training midwife. We all study midwifery. We have beautiful simulation labs, midwifery labs. But when it comes to actual practice, very few students get an opportunity to do normal deliveries because there's a big list of medical students, interns, residents, postgraduates. And uh, uh, that is a big challenge for us to really, really train. So we have somewhere lost the art and science of conducting normal deliveries. And those of us who used to conduct normal deliveries have now all either retired from government or are in administrative posts. So the newer ones have not been trained like us. 
so there's always a gap between the educa nursing education and clinical practice and so um what what's the plan how are you going to bring normal birth back to india yes we have lots and lots of activists we have people from ngos they have created a, a birth india group so if you just check into the website birth india in every state in mumbai bangalore chennai hyderabad they have these people uh, where some of the midwives who are indians uh, who used to work as midwives in us have come back to india and they are promoting this normal births they are birthing villages one of them is in kerala and uh, one is in um, hyderabad there's a very famous obstetrician called dr evita fernandes she and one of the midwives she's indicor who was uh, in the royal college of midwives london she, they have been constantly working training local midwives there uh, and uh, it's excellently going on and even the government officials visit these centers to take a clue from them how to go about uh, as concerned to us like to me i i used to be the vice president of society of midwives india we have a strong society of midwives india with more than 10000 midwives as members in all the 29 30 states we do a national conference every year and state level conference and lot of capacity building for midwives every conference has skill stations uh, we have been trying to empower midwives and uh, we have a woman called uh, dr prakashama who is a leader for midwife in india she's been promoting she was a founder of the society <clears throat> in spite of all this uh, since we are dominated by the doctors we really need some strong kind of uh, support from government and maybe icm to be here like if in my labor room if i suddenly say that the government has told that we can do deliveries now and i and my students are going to come here and do normal deliveries it wouldn't happen until unless a midwife from us or uk comes stays here collaborates with us and if she's there then they will all listen to her but if i start doing it these are my fears and my colleagues fears and uh, apprehensions about it here uh, other than this we have been collaborating so, so let me just get that clear so if if you have imported providers who demonstrate how it can be done differently then the medical profession will take that seriously they will have to because there are orders from government and if we collaborate in some way and suppose we collaborate with, with one particular university or college from us or united states or uk and we have this mou for normal birthing then it would it would definitely lead us uh, towards a better future for midwifery um little bit of experience here i had been to thomas jefferson university in march in philadelphia i had a talk on skype with the chair at maryland midwifery chair and also with the midwifery chair at jefferson and i had told them that if we can collaborate and if you can come down here and be the leader of the birthing team then we can do it i'm sure that nurses and midwives alone uh, it may not happen so we have started a interdisciplinary team uh, we have had a few meetings with the ayurveda doctors the obstetrics uh, physiotherapists the midwives and the obstetricians so if these four people are the member of the team then we are trying to create some protocols that who will do what and then maybe the whole team against them they would support it so we are working on these things trying to find out many ways and means
there has been a uh, silent revolution which has started in india for uh, promoting normal births and everyone uh, india is a huge country everyone in their state whether it is the ngos who run this normal birth campaigns they have these birthing centers whether it are it is professional midwives like us who try to do the best from the difficult situation in the hospital we are good in giving very good in giving antenatal care postnatal care neonatal care labor monitoring we do but the opportunity to conduct normal labors i think i represent the whole of india many of the nursing college colleges students are not getting so i wish that icm some in some way can influence the government of india and try to see that uh, the standards of regulation education and practice which icm has the new standards in its website it makes it compulsory for all countries who are members of icm to really practice that and um, promote normal deliveries it would be an excellent way to promote it in india of course it has started in a very big way uh, it is going to get incorporated in many government hospitals but we are the private players and majority in india uh, majority of the schools and colleges of nursing are run by the private uh, organizations and we are very quality conscious because we are we all follow the accreditation status for universities so we are very much for it anything anyone to come and help us we are ready to get going midwives are so empowered and the training is so apt that they can take care of a woman in her whole reproductive cycle independently right from her preconceptual stage till the postnatal period and this training can save lives in many many of the developing countries the maternal mortality and the neonatal mortality and morbidity rates have not come down significantly in spite of so many programs happening not only in india but other countries so i wish that midwifery is empowered like how it is empowered in sweden in united kingdom and other countries and we will be the frontline health workers who can go to the grassroots level in the rural communities and right from home births we can manage normal births beautifully compassionately skillfully and see that we have a very healthy and positive outcome of a, a mother and newborn This episode of the Worldwide Midwifery Podcast is sponsored by the book, Knock Knock, Let's Talk, A Positivity Guide to Pregnancy. And in this episode, I interview the book's author, psychotherapist, entrepreneur, blogger, social activist, and doting mother, Dr. Ankita Marjari, co-founder of the Argiada Online Homeopathic Clinic. I'm so happy that you're willing to talk to us from the perspective of an advocate. Can we call you an advocate? Uh, yeah, you can say that because uh, at the end of the day, I think all of us are striving for the same cause that uh, making the journey of motherhood more beautiful, more soulful, and more meaningful. Uh, oh. Like, uh, like 
I'm sure that you might have heard of, from the midwife you spoke in India that the birth scenario over here is uh, really not good and uh, uh, women are not getting chances to have, uh, you know, their birthing choices. Uh, yeah. I had a word with uh, one midwife who uh, practices in Tamil Nadu and I was shocked to hear that the moment the government comes to know that the mother is going to deliver at home, uh, they do not give uh, that child a birth certificate. And I was shocked by this knowledge. I don't know the scenario in my state because uh, uh, we don't come across these things very frequently. Your, uh, the child care and uh, the pregnancy is uh, dealt by uh, doctors, gynecologists and obstetricians. And uh, they, uh, they offer choices, but usually those are led choices. For example, as simple as uh, cord around the neck, they prefer cesareans. And it is one major cause where, you know, uh, where uh, even the expecting mother feels that, okay, the baby would be strangulated inside the womb. They don't have that kind of knowledge that, you know, they can deliver normally and there's no yeah. problem delivering a baby having cord around the neck. So It's amazing it how much people don't know, right? Amazing. Actually, they don't know because they are not informed. They don't have that knowledge. And... Uh, uh, because uh, they are busy in their own lives, taking their professions ahead or uh, doing their household course, but they're just taking pregnancy as it comes. They're not thinking over it. They're not they, they have no knowledge about what is happening inside. So tell us a little bit about what you do and what you're trying to do to change this scenario. Uh, I am a doctor by profession. I'm a homeopathic physician and a psychotherapist and counselor. Uh, I'm a philanthropist, uh, a mompreneur, and I've come up with this book wherein, uh, you know, the expecting mother talks to the baby in the womb to create a wonderful prenatal bond and uh, to make pregnancy more soulful. There are uh, in, there is information written about what are the kind of changes which the expecting mother may face uh, in that particular week, and the positive affirmations are stated. Uh, I'm trying my best through social media to get in touch with expecting mothers, wherein they know that you know uh, pregnancy should be made more soulful and more beautiful because at the end of the day you are creating a new generation. Which, is, which should be more conscious, which should be more informed, which should feel loved and wanted. Uh, many a times you, uh, uh, you don't give that kind of importance to uh, the baby in the womb and your health as well. And that is one major reason that uh, once the babies are out, somewhere uh, the connection which should be felt with the mother is not felt. There are many uh, mental health issues. There's postpartum depression and uh, the babies uh, feel uh, that they're not wanted and uh, and uh, they feel that you know that bond is somewhere missing uh, the sole part of the pregnancy and like you know pregnancy changes a woman birth changes a woman it brings a, it makes a woman more complete so uh, the emotional and the spiritual part of it is somewhere left these days so I'm trying my best to educate people, educate women that uh, they can take, uh, they can make these nine months 
more beautiful and more soulful and it can be uh, uh, it can be a transition in the woman herself because the positive qualities which the woman will teach the baby in the womb will be imbibed in her as well because she is reading those affirmations she will try to adapt what is written she will try to create an atmosphere wherein you know there is positivity there is love yeah that's amazing that's so beautiful so how did you get interested in this what made you decide this was your mission uh, honestly talking, uh, I have been practicing since around a decade now. Uh, when I was expecting my first baby, uh, that, uh, that was the time uh, when I was in my third trimester. And back in India, uh, when you are expecting and when it's your third trimester, they hold a very big baby shower. And uh, I had one of the best baby showers ever. And uh, the next day, after my baby shower, when half of the town knows that I'm expecting and they'd been here to bless me and shower their love on me because this was, uh, you know, the first third generation child. Uh, uh, after that, it was a normal work day for me. I had a camp at a local college and uh, uh, where uh, people from low socioeconomic background come and I was happy educating them regarding the importance of food, health and hygiene. And when I returned from work, uh, I, I just felt I had a habit of talking to my baby and conversing uh, back then also. So I could feel that I'm not feeling any movements. And that, you know, triggered a bit of anxiety in me that, you know, why am I not feeling these movements? Um, I uh, tried talking to my gynec and uh, I, ha I went and visited him. And uh, after the sonology, I got to know that the baby is no more. And I was shattered. I, I felt that time stood still. I couldn't understand when he said, are you FD? I said, I don't understand what is are you FD? In spite of being a doctor, uh, that, uh, those words did not register in my mind. I asked him again, please explain what you're trying to say because I'm not understanding what you're saying. So he said that it's intrauterine fetal death. And I was shattered. I, I st it still brings goosebumps whenever I talk about it because it still has that impact. And uh, after that, uh, you know, uh, life was different for the next six months. I was into uh, depression. It took time to come out of my shell because I was mentally numb. I didn't know. Uh, for, for me, it was like, uh, uh, now what will I do? Why did this happen to me? I did not find any reasons. And uh, it impacted me very, very badly. After that, after those six months, uh, I was blessed to uh, get pregnant again. And uh, when I was expecting my rainbow baby, uh, because of my past experience, the anxiety in my mind was very, very high. I said that, uh, I just thought that, you know, I cannot keep myself anxious because it will affect my health as well as my baby's health. And uh, that was the time when I started writing to my baby in the womb. I started writing positivity. I started writing quotes which would, you know, help the baby. And I thought that every week I'll teach the baby something new. In that process, you know, my mind would be diverted from anxiety to positivity. And uh, that that was the time when I first did it. That is around eight years back. 
when I was expecting my first daughter. So every week I used to write to her. I used to talk aloud. I used to express uh, little, little things which are important to me as a person, little qualities which I want um, in my baby, little things which in the hustle bustle of life you forget and you don't practice uh, things such as being happy, smiling, giving respect, importance of dedication, importance of family and uh, what uh, little things which you can uh, learn from the other people just by listening and by observing having patience, cleanliness, everything under the roof, you know, whatever. I just started writing randomly. And to be very honest, it was a practice which helped me sail through those nine months. And uh, I, am, uh, I was very amazed that my baby is exactly like uh, the way I had been. She has all those qualities. She has all those things, which all those virtues which I practice and which I believe that, you know, every human being should imbibe. So this positivity, I can see in her. I can see her being humble. I, I can see her being compassionate towards people around her. I love the way she tries to make everyone smile by little gestures. And that is the time when I feel that, oh, uh, this thing has a huge impact. I have one more daughter and uh, she's the youngest artist in Asia. And uh, during her pregnancy, I was connected to a lot of art forms, to be very honest. She's painting, she, uh, she's painting since she was two and a half. And uh, now she is five and a half year old. She made a record when she was four. And uh, that is the time when I felt that, you know, whatever you are doing, when you're uh, expecting, all those things have a very deep impact on the baby. I started researching, I started studying. That, that is the time when I came across some beautiful uh, articles and books, wherein this, uh, uh, you know, there are many people working on this. And it's been a topic of work since 40, 50 years now, wherein they say that babies are conscious, they are having an environment in the womb, and they are actually learning everything that you have to offer. So I thought of taking it ahead and uh, I thought of, you know, making it available for other expecting mothers because uh, every woman has her own share of stresses and pregnancy is a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, the right ones need to be catered and uh, the, uh, this book might be a little bit of, like I always say, a pixie dust in your life to add on more positivity, more happiness uh, by the affirmation stated in the book. <laughs> oh, I love this pixie dust in your life. This is what your book is. <laughs> I love that. What is in your book? Affirmations and 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 exercises and things to do. Uh, I'll just tell you a small layout. Uh, uh, for example, the book starts from uh, week five and it is there till week forty. These days, usually in week five, you come to know that you're expecting, you've missed your period, you take the pregnancy test, you have those two lines of positivity that is when the book starts and that is when you can start reading it uh, every week there is a small paragraph written for the mom to be the, there is a section which is called as the baby talk wherein you start dressing your baby as a sweetheart i always say that now uh, mama will come up with a new virtue for this week 
so every week we talk about one new virtue that can be uh, like you know being happy and after every virtue at times i uh, give examples that why is it important or why you have to uh, you know what is the importance of being honest what is the importance of sharing what is the importance of loving caring um, being humble giving respect uh, why is attitude of gratitude important and after uh, talking about that virtue uh, for some uh, time uh, i and i always end the week with a prose or a verse uh maybe uh, like a poem sort of a thing uh, i'll just read a two a few lines mm -hmm. from the honesty chapter talking of virtues honesty leads the rest i believe it is one of the best honesty has fearless eyes honesty has fearless heart honesty makes things simpler honesty makes situations clearer be honest is what i will always say honest people have lies at bay the poem is still long but i've just uh, tried to uh, uh, read a bit of it and uh, like that every week uh, after the virtue there's a poem attached to the prose which the mother can read aloud i always believe that when you are reading something like this to your baby you in turn are affected with the prose when i am preaching my baby honesty i in turn but you know Uh, behave honestly that is how i feel because uh, you are bound to behave in a particular way so uh, for example the attitude of gratitude if i am teaching the baby in the womb to be uh, a more humble and to be more grateful for all the blessings we have i will also feel that gratitude in my heart it will change my perception as a person it will change me to be a more better person That's amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your book. Will you tell us a little bit about you said in the beginning that that the government is not um offering birth certificates if someone chooses a home birth. Is it hard to find a midwife? Is it hard to find home birth? What is it like in the hospital? Tell us a little bit more about what Indian women go through. see usually uh, uh this uh, piece of information uh, came across to me yesterday itself that it is happening in happening in the state of tamil nadu uh the other parts of india i'm not sure whether the scenario is same uh, uh back in india there are many villages which do promote home birth uh, uh like you know uh, in the western countries they are called as midwives in india they are called as dais and these uh, daimas uh, help you deliver at home but that scenario is there only in the most remote villages uh, in the cities and towns we have phcs that is primary healthcare centers which uh, is again a place where the women can uh, deliver uh, these places are uh, uh, places where again normal delivery is uh, uh, is is more common i'm talking about uh, the uh, metro cities and the upscale towns where a normal delivery has become a rarity the ra the uh, ratio of cesarean sections have uh, uh, broadly increased and uh, the major reason being uh, time time is one factor wherein you know uh, people feel that it is more safe to deliver uh, the baby uh, through a cesarean section because uh, uh, you know 
there would be no complications and it would be more easier that way you you know the time and you know uh, it things are you're more mentally prepared and it, it is pre-decided and uh, there there is no other problem you know that is how it is quoted and uh, yes the scenario is very very uh, different back in metros more and more people are delivering through cesarean sections than uh, giving uh, birth vaginally that's just crazy i can't believe it it's happening all over the world this increase in cesarean and midwives yes. being replaced by surgeons it's just it's really crazy true, so true. that is happening yeah so were you able to have the kind of birth that you wanted uh, not really, to be very, very honest. Uh, 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 after losing my first baby, that, that baby I had did, uh, delivered vaginally and I was in pain for more than 24 hours. Uh, when I was expecting my second baby, uh, at that time I was detected with gestational diabetes. Uh, though it is not a cause for cesarean, uh, I did have false pains for around three or four days. And uh, after that, my anxiety shooted up because the fear of losing a child at uh, a later stage of pregnancy was somewhere there. And to be very, yeah. very honest, uh, I, I, I had that fear that what if I lose my best baby as well. Yeah. In spite of affirmations, uh, uh, there was a very, very weak moment. And I recall it uh, very clearly because uh, it I had that fear again and I uh, there was a moment wherein I could rewind everything that happened on that day. I could rewind that, you know, the movements are not being felt and all those things, all those things were like uh, a revision and uh, that triggered my anxiety all the more. I felt that I cannot lose this baby. It is too, too, too precious. I have... Uh, uh, the, the emotional attachment and the dread of losing the uh, previous baby was very much afresh. And uh, uh, that was the time where, you know, uh, the movements were also less and uh, there were, the NST was also not promising. So uh, we decided on a cesarean because uh, the anxiety, like I said, was very, uh, uh, the anxiety played an, a major role during that time. And yeah, yeah I, I did wait for four days, but uh, the fifth day I was like, uh, I, I, I don't think so. I, I can wait anymore, you know? Uh, yeah. So then, then we decided on a cesarean section. No doubt I was informed. I said, are, are there opportunities for women to have what we call a vaginal birth after cesarean? VBAC? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. there are opportunities. The doctors always inform. I mean, not all doctors, to be very, very honest. There are few doctors who inform. And there are few doctors who say that, uh, uh, you know, since the first child is cesarean, we can decide on a second one. But there are few doctors, like my doctor had informed me that there are chances of a vaginal delivery after, uh, after a cesarean section. Yeah. I think the government or anyone can do to make birth better for women in India? There, there are certain governments who are actually working on it. Uh, I, I happen to meet uh, Dr. Chhabra, who belongs to uh, an institute back in Sevagram. And uh, uh, we met in Dubai for a midwifery and gynecology conference, wherein she said that, uh, yes, uh, the scenario is much better in, uh, you know, the low socioeconomic uh, 
backgrounds wherein uh, the doctors are preferring the primary healthcare centers prefer uh, vaginal deliveries only the ratio of cesarean has increased only and only in metro cities because of the population because of the time constraint because uh, it gets easier for the doctor to uh, you know uh, obviously normal delivery takes a lot of your time whereas cesareans can be planned and it saves a lot of your time so metro cities are facing uh, more of cesarean however the government does support uh, uh, you know the importance of uh, uh, having normal deliveries yeah and and we're seeing more and more from the world health organization and others that actually having a midwife decreases the risks for mom and for babies um, so is india moving towards more midwives in any way Oh, uh, I can't see that happening. To be very honest, there are very few midwives, and I mean the midwifery culture is coming up again after a, a huge gap of few decades. Earlier in villages, we had daimas who, are, like I told you, that they were uh, the ancient wise women who used to help deliver babies normally and at home only. But uh, with the more and more centers coming up. primary healthcare centers coming up the tradition had been uh, drastically uh, reduced uh, of having home births but i think it's picking up again and uh, with the uh, with, uh, with i've seen that happening in few states like bangalore is one place where in midwifery has taken uh, uh, taken an action and south of india is adapting to these practices again and uh, i think it's a wonderful idea wherein you know uh, if they introduce midwives the uh, it would uh, the birthing process would be more beautiful and uh, soulful because uh, because uh, because of the patience and because of the care and because of the time and because of the bond which this midwife creates with the expecting mother so uh, i am you know thinking of uh, trying something like that back in gujarat wherein you know we have more uh, people taking up midwifery and uh, along with nursing they can uh, introduce a midwifery course if possible and uh, they can take it ahead because uh, i've been uh, getting in touch with midwives doulas across the globe and i felt that my country is missing something which is so good which is so essential and which is so promising for the expecting mothers mm, i agree oh i agree so much thank you so much for talking with us today is there anything else you want to share um nothing much basically i want to appreciate uh, your effort of getting in touch with people so that uh, you know many health aspects uh, uh, many uh, many topics on which uh, which you know my country is unaware or some other people are unaware can be talked upon and uh, can be taken up in hands for working like mm-hmm. uh, midwifery uh, we spoke that yeah i actually feel that india needs more midwives <laughs> and yeah. uh, the whole I, I, world Needs ah, the whole, yeah you can say that because uh, uh it's been like past two months that because of my book i'm getting in touch with uh, so many midwives and i really feel that you are making 
a difference, a major difference in an expecting mother's life uh, by the emotional support, by uh, the, uh, not only the emotional support, but even educating the women about the right birthing choices, educating the women uh, about the science behind it and about the spirituality behind it. It's, it's a wonderful job. And uh, uh, the amount of patience that you uh, women carry, it's appreciable and I'm awed. It's so inspiring. You know, I've been reading stories from midwives across the globe that uh, how they delivered, how, how they were there with the couple and uh, the, the transition of a woman to a warrior, to a mother during birth and during these nine months is something so very beautiful portrayed by all you people and it's very <laughs> very inspiring seriously <laughs> i know uh, aren't midwives the most amazing midwives are my favorite people <laughs> <laughs> i can see that <laughs> yeah they're just amazing. Uh, They're amazing. And, and, and you know, uh, to be very honest, the idea of connecting with all these midwives was one that you could understand the soul behind my book. I had been touched in various. Uh, I have been uh, in touch with various gynecologists and obstetricians. Though they appreciated the book a lot, uh, they felt that uh, you know how much will it help. They had that question, and besides that, uh, they also felt that uh, we can't you know, take up this as an experiment. But midwives, they felt that this is something so beautiful. This is something which can be adapted by every expecting mother. This is something which every expecting mother should do or rather should believe in. Be it with mm. the book or without the book, everybody needs that positivity day in, day out. And these That's were the things awesome. which I got to learn from the midwives. And I felt so very humbled. I felt so very overwhelmed with emotion. And that is when I felt that, you know, uh, these, this, this group of people is, uh, you know, something which an expecting mother, if connected correctly, will have one of the most beautiful moments of, of, of in those nine months even the delivery would be one which would be like you know which will stay with the woman for the years to come she'll never forget that day it's so true it's so true and aside from preparing for the medical safety we also need to prepare for her emotional and spiritual safety yeah, that is something that, that is yeah. something which actually uh, clicked me and uh, I was so glad that you know uh, uh, this needs to be catered when you know our emotions are catered nobody will have mental breakdowns we are yeah. humans we are entitled to emotions we are entitled to, to these things which we feel and they need vent they need they need you know a place where they can express as they are feeling there are times when we might feel crappy there are times we might feel anxious there are times we feel angry if these emotions are not catered they will affect our health being a homeopath, I believe that uh, to, uh, all the root cause of diseases is in the mind. And uh, if, if, if you cater your emotions correctly, if you have a positive mindset, if you uh, work towards your mental health, then nobody would ever fall sick. So. Oh, amazing. 